Welcome to the fucking show. And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Uh, how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. This is the first episode in quote-unquote season six of Carson Sack. We are so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be back giving you this podcast. I hope you are happy to be listening to it. Before we jump into things, we do have a bit of scheduling and programming notes that I want to go over before I get into today's episode so to begin with this new episode number 85 is going to be coming out on august 26th and in this episode we are going to be previewing the ncaa football season and i'm going to be discussing the week zero games and the week one games for college football because next week i will be out of town unable to record i will be without service i apologize so i want to at least preview those games give you my college football playoff predictions um some sleeper teams some teams i think that are going to disappoint my national championship pick my heisman pick all these things are going to be on this episode next week there is no episode but then the following week the week of uh september 6th uh, and then on September 9th, the first first NFL game. So that week, there will be a Carson Sack, uh, episode 86. That is going to entail a look back at week one of college football, look ahead to week two of college football, and then we are going to do a preview um, of the entire NFL season and everything that entails with that. So if it's a little broken up or anything like that and you're wondering why, that's the reason there's a break. There's no episode next week. I will be disposed. I will be without service, totally unavailable to do this podcast. So I apologize for the break right off the bat, but just know there's a reason there's a plan in place so every part of the upcoming football seasons are talked about and discussed and previewed for you here on Carson Sack Podcast. Now that the scheduling portion is sort of out of the way, a few programming notes. This podcast for its first five years, five seasons, was primarily only available on Apple Podcast and the SoundCloud app and then it has drifted off into these other streaming things that I have no clue what they are and when I say like the like rate review subscribe um and wherever you get your podcast from the only two that I really knew of were the Apple podcast like I said in SoundCloud but it's on a few others just want to make a note that this podcast now Carson Sack is available on Spotify I know if there are people out there that prefer to listen to podcasts on Spotify. I'm personally not, and I thought it was going to be a much harder process to get a podcast onto Spotify. Wasn't an issue whatsoever. So over the course of the summer, really over the course of a day, my goal was, hey, let's just start uploading the podcast to 
Spotify. That is also a place where you have the option to listen to Carson Sack now. Um, like I do normally on the day the podcast comes out, I will be tweeting the Apple link and I will also be tweeting the Spotify link. But if you're listening to this now in the SoundCloud app or the spot or excuse me, the Apple app and you don't like it, you can switch right over to Spotify right now. I'll pause. I'll let you do that. Okay, I think you're switched over now. And you can continue enjoying listening to Carson Sack. But going forward, just know that that is now an option for you, and I am happy to be a part of the Spotify team. Now that the programming and the scheduling notes are out of the way and taken care of, we're going to preview this episode a little bit. As I said, we are going to talk about the Week 0 games. We're going to talk about the Week 1 games in college football. I'm also going to preview the entire season as a whole. Talk a little bit about the conference realignment situation that is really going. It started with Texas and Oklahoma. It is now with the Alliance, with the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC. Going to talk a little bit about how that is going to impact the sport going forward. We have the NIL deal for players that are there that they can make money off their name image and likeness now that is absolutely wonderful going to be talking a little bit about those two topics and how i think they're going to help change and drive the sport forward even more into um, popularity and people's homes but before we get to that we have a extremely special guest for this week's mail sack um, before I get into that, to get your question on the mail sack, all you have to do is follow me on Instagram or Snapchat, and I post the stories that ask for the questions on that one to two days in advance of recording. And you can send in any question, and I literally answer every single one. I think there's probably on a hand, I could count on one hand at most of questions that have been asked that I just haven't answered. And I try my best to give you the best answer that I can. So, you're probably wondering, you say, hey, you have a really special guest. Who's it going to be? That guest is none other than Stephanie McLean. She asked a few months ago if she could come on. I finally caved in and said, yeah, sure, you can do the mail sack. So I am happy to have her join me this week. Before we get to that, though, this week's mail sack is presented to you by Papa John's and the Chacaroni. The Chacaroni is back. Papa John's heard you clamoring all over social media for you to bring it back. And so Papa John said, hey, what better time to do? And this pizza is not only a pizza. It is a pizza with a purpose. Not only is the Chacaroni an XL foldable slices with extra cheese and pepperoni, but for each Chacaroni sold between August 16th and October 24th, Papa John's will donate $1 to the Papa John's Foundation, benefiting local and national charities like the Boys and Girls Club of America, the United Negro College Fund, and the Baltimore Hunger Project. So enjoy this tasty, tasty pizza of the Chacaroni, and now enjoy this tasty, tasty segment of the Mail Sack with Stephanie McLean. All right, 
right, without further ado, we are now joined by Stephanie McLean for this week's edition of The Mail Attack. Stephanie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Carson. Thanks for having me. Um, I We're going to see if it's my pleasure or my pitfall here in about 30 minutes or so. So, <laughs> um, let's just get right into it. Our first question comes from Kendi Poston, who asks, what is the most overrated food? The most overrated food, in my opinion and this is a hot take, is pizza. I don't think that pizza is a fine dining food, and I think a lot of places try to make it fine dining. I think it's how you present it, though. If, like, a pizza place knows what it is, if, like, a bear knows knows what it is and they don't try and class it up, that's fine. But if, like, I don't know, say, like, I don't know a nice pizza place, Kohl's? Kohl's. Kohl's would be a nice pizza place. I also just don't like, really like pizza. I feel like it's missing a little something. Um, doesn't usually come with any sides. Big sides, girl. Big sides, girl. Okay, so pizza is your answer. I'm going to go uh, with tacos. I do like tacos, but I understand that's like, the debate is like pizza or taco. I'm 1,000% on pizza. I'm going taco. I just don't think taco... Like, it's fine. Like, it's totally fine. But if I'm eating at a, like, Mexican restaurant or, like, I go to Taco Bell, I never am like, oh, I'll just take tacos. No, but let me put it this way. If you order a pizza, you're stuck with whatever type of pizza you ordered. At a taco place, you can get four different types of tacos. It's all about the variety. I mean, you can get half and half things of pizza. Or if I'm typically eating pizza, like... I'm eating what I want, or I'm at, like, a Spinelli's where they sell stuff by the slice, and I can get two, three, four, five different slices of different pizzas. Fair enough. Fair enough. Don't really have a comeback to that one. (laughs) Okay. Um, Our next set of questions, uh, they come from Claire Samuels. Her first one, uh, she started off with some hostility. Why did Stephanie get to come on the podcast? (laughs) Great question, Claire. Stephanie got to come on the podcast because she has harassed Carson um, for months about joining. And I've always wanted to be on a podcast. And Claire, you live in LA. Um, That basically sums up why, Claire, we have discussed privately after this about you possibly coming on mid-season for something. We'll discuss and hammer out the details a little bit later. Uh, Claire then follows up that question with, can Stephanie please explain why she is not or if she is nervous about the A.J. Brown-Julio Jones um, combination? And she also privately texted me and said, I can't weigh in on it until you do. So, like, you are supposed to know about this. Yes. (laughs) It appears I am supposed to know about that, seeing as I am on a sports podcast. Um, I have heard of Julio Jones. Mm Mm-hmm. Have you heard of A.J. Brown? That's tough. Um, Can can I have some hints on who, on what? Football player, obviously. Um, Think local, local in quotation marks, uh, sports team. The Tennessee Titans. Okay. Uh, Think Julio Jones. Why would that be a problem? He's not going to be a problem to a running back or like a tight end or a defensive back. Why would those two be in together be a problem? Is the, is the A.J. Brown guy going to start over Julio Jones? That could be a th- possibility. Um, 
Also, are you worried about that or are you like excited for something like that? Um, you know, maybe Julio Jones needs to be um, tipped off his pedestal a little bit. If I'm on the right track. Um, you couldn't be further okay. from, from what's going on. Um, I actually think that both of those guys being there together is going to be good for both of them. Uh, it's going to make it so neither of those guys can really be double teamed. Julio Latcher coming off his injury, but when he was healthy, he was still one of the top five receivers in the league. A.J. Brown, in his third year now in the NFL, can learn a lot from Julio um, while he's there in Tennessee. Uh, if you remember, A.J. Brown was pushing all offseason for the Titans to bring in Julio. Um, you, it seemed like it wasn't going to be an issue with egos or anything like that. And to speak to your point about knocking Julio off his pedestal, um, I would think Julio might be one of the most quiet, like, humble receivers in the NFL. So, potentially. Like um, I said, just a guess. Claire, thank you for asking that because you knew that I would not have an answer. And then Claire asked one more question. Great. And it's, who does Stephanie plan to pick in the first round? Obviously referring to your all's fantasy draft. It's your third year doing it? It is my third year. Okay. Um, prior to me answering this question, I need to see who is in front of me in the lineup. Um, oh, you all have the draft the, order out Yeah, already? we have the draft order out. Um, and I want to think about what I'm going to say, depending on who might listen to this podcast. Can I hit a pause real quick? No, I'll entertain. <laughs> um, but I'll just ask you. So this year, the whole league's third year doing this podcast, doing this fantasy draft, right? Yeah. Whose idea was that to start and everything? Um, I think it was Claire's idea to start. Um, she's really great at organizing things. And then I think all of us, um, when we started our first year doing it, half of us were in Louisville, half of us were in Danville, and some of us were elsewhere. But um, all together, it really helped us stay connected when we were all in different places. Now most of us are in the same place, um, so it's super fun to get to get together and, and watch it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'll definitely tell you who I plan to pick in the first round. Um, pick you? Pick I, I'm the fourth. I'm the fourth pick. Oh, that's tough. And I've got Mary, I don't know who Amateur Hour is, and Hannah Bandura in front of me. So. Okay, how were Mary and Hannah in previous years in this league? Do they know what's going on or no? Um, I think Mary Mary tries to know what's going on. She does do her research. She does, uh, you know, move around her team and do some trades. Um, you know, she lost our first year. Um, our second year, she uh, didn't come in last. Uh, but I believe she was in, in the loser's bracket. Um, and then Hannah also might have been in the loser's bracket last year, and I don't know where she was first year. I don't remember. Um but, yeah, uh, probably going to draft a um, running back for my first pick, um, which is different than what I've done the past two years. I have picked my quarterback the first round, which I know is highly taboo. But it has worked out for me because I've never been in the loser's bracket. Um, You've never so, yeah. won either, though, correct? Yeah, I had the best record the first year. But it didn't win. Got it. Yeah. Um, okay, so a running back. I could, there's a lot of names that are going to be there at four, so I don't think you can really fuck that up. 
Um, and then piggybacking off that, Emily Winkler, Winkler was nice enough to send in a question. She asked, I'd like to know Stephanie's thoughts on our upcoming draft. Um, you sort of touched on that. Do you know where Emily's drafting or anything? Yeah, so it looks like Emily will be drafting. Um, she is, well, I don't know if she's fifth, which would be the better Wink, or if she's 11th, which is Team Winkler. Okay. So she's either fifth or 11th. Um, last year I was a 12th pick, and that, I felt like that worked out pretty well for me just because mm-hmm. we do a snake draft. Um, I mean, I'm interested to see how it goes. Uh, I think this year because we're doing it without – um, cell phones and laptops, um, paper draft, board draft, whatever it's called. You're um, doing an offline draft. Yeah, and if you don't do your research, you're kind of screwed. So. Sort of. I mean, there are websites and stuff you can print off to help you learn and everything. But, but if you I'm pr- sure don't got a printer. You don't uh, have a printer. Then you don't have a printer. You <laughs> right. pay X amount for this place and they no, don't I have, have a printer. printer. I bet not all those girls have printers. Though. Okay, well, you're throwing a little shade now. We're going to steer clear <laughs> of that. Um, let's see, moving on. Our next question comes from Ty Spalding. This seems more geared to me, but you can weigh in if you have any. Uh, does Tiger Woods ever play professionally again? Do you think he's ever going to play again? My answer is play professionally. Does he mean, like, play professionally where there's money on the line or play professionally in, like, a professional golf scramble for, like, charity. No, he means, like, play on the PGA Tour. No. He has to. No way. His legs are totally fucked up. No, he's going to play again. If they... Obviously, yes, terrible crash he had. Then about, I want to say, two or three months or whatever after that, you saw him walk around on crudges and everything. Um, I'm not sure if he's talked to media or anything like that surrounding... Uh, what actually happened in his process for recovery and everything. You heard reports a few weeks ago that Joe LaCava, his caddy, visited him. Um, and then you saw Joe LaCava on the bag. Um, I forget for what event, and I forget who, but I think maybe that was more just asking Tiger if it was okay if he did that while Tiger was rehabbing everything. I don't know if Tiger ever comes back and is like super competitive in tournaments, but... He's If he does come back or when he comes back, he was already on a real shortened, limited schedule. I think that's going to be even more shortened to probably his own tournament that he sponsored. So, like, this past year, uh, he sponsored the Genesis Invitational at Riviera. He'll probably play that. He'll probably play all the majors, probably play the week before the majors, and then, like, the Memorial on Bay Hill. And then I think he probably shuts it down. So you're looking at probably, like, seven to eight tournaments a year, maybe double digits if he gets, like, sponsors ask him to or really needs to or anything like that. Uh, but he does come back and he plays. Do you think he ever wins? Well, if you don't think he's ever going to play again, you certainly don't think he's ever going to win again. That's or, negative. Okay. Uh, Ty, she's raining all over your parade, but he will come back and he will play again. Um, our next question comes from Cat Jury. KJ, I appreciate you asking this very thoughtful question. She asks, how are you? Uh, I'm good. I appreciate you sending that in. Stephanie, how are you? Mm. (laughs) Small pause there. A little bit of a stumble. Um, Good. Good would just round that out. A simple how are you really tripped up the guest. I appreciate that. Um, Okay. 
Jalen asks, Jalen Hibbs is our next uh, question sender. He has another football sort of fantasy one. What are Stephanie's thoughts on the recent injury of Travis Etienne? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, Travis Etienne, do you know who he is? No. Do you know what position he plays? Tight end. Try again. Running back. Yeah. I have never heard of him. He was drafted. He's a rookie. Okay, that would Went be... Went to Clemson. He's a rookie. The long hair guy? He does have long the hair. The long blonde hair guy? No, that's Trevor oh. Lawrence. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, I don't know much about the rookies. Travis Etienne was slated to be the number one or like 1A in Jacksonville this year. Um, now it looks like it's going to be James Robinson's show again. Um, with maybe Carlos Hyde working in, but I thought it was very idiotic for the Jaguars to even take ETN um, in the first round like they did because James Robinson in his rookie year last year had over 1,000 yards, had double-digit touchdowns, proved capable in the passing game. So a little questionable first-round pick by Urban Meyer to follow up the Trevor Lawrence pick at number one, but that it doesn't seem like we're going to see that pick pan out or how that was going to happen. Uh, at all this year just because of the injury, but... What did, what did he do? Uh, he messed something up in his foot in their second preseason game on mm-hmm. Monday. He was he got injured, got seen leaving the arena in a walking boot, and then had an MRI on Tuesday and totally done. Whole season, done. Yeah. Well, he got placed on their IR. Um, originally, I saw at some report like he could come back in week 12 but then they put him on IR so he's totally yeah. done. Shank, I think you should draft him. Shank? <laughs> uh, Shank sent in a good one, I think, for you at least. Um, moving down, let's see. Lily Julie French asked who are you most excited to see at Railbird? Stephanie, you're not going to Railbird. I'm not. I will actually be in Nashville. Shine down. They're not on the uh, list, so you wouldn't even want to go, probably. Surprise. But uh, yeah, you go, you say yours. I'll look at the lineup and see who I would have been most excited to see. Um, I'm most excited to see Liz Cooper, uh, Briston Murray, Leon Bridges, My Morning Jacket, uh, Dave Matthews Band. I really wasn't all that fired up to go see, but then after this past week, uh, getting into him a little bit more and listening to him, I mean, I do know who he is, and I had listened to him before, but a bit more of appreciation for him. Um, those are really my big ones right off the top. Uh, the Revivalist as well. Jason Isbell, and anytime he brings his 400 unit, I'm a big fan of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking a look here. Um, not... Quite my vibe of music, not quite my genre. Um, I I've heard Billy Strings is pretty good. Billy Strings is good, yeah. I've never <laughs> seen him live, but he is very good. Leon live. Bridges, I I like I like that, but. Well, I, you're in Nashville. What are you in Nashville for? Work trip. Work trip. Well, your boy trip. I told you, your boy trip. He reads in Cincinnati on Friday. I know. I'm having to miss it. It's a real shame about everything. And then. I don't know. Our next question, I don't know how to say this woman's name. You work with her. I'm going to, how do you say that? Uh, Victoria Yakimovich. Yeah, that's how you say it. Um, she asks, what's the one thing you judge boys hardest on at the bar? 
She follows that up with, it's shoes for me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I know this uh, because I had this conversation just last week. Um, mine's got to be teeth. Mine's got to be teeth. You know, what's, what's in the mouth matters. Understand that. I, I obviously have no real indication or care about this for guys, but I will to harp on what she says. I try and care about like what my shoes look like if I'm going out or anything. Like I like it to match my outfit. I don't like to wear like totally dirty shoes or anything like that. So I'm glad that the little detail or something like that is not going unnoticed, but obviously yes, teeth do play a pretty big part. Yeah, and like they don't have to be perfectly straight. They don't have to be incredibly white. They just have to be there. Just have to be there. That's a pretty low bar, honestly. The bar gets lower every day, my friend. Okay, well, that's upsetting to hear. <laughs> um, then we actually have a one, two, three, a four-parter from Michael Bennett. Um, his first question is, who starts first, Trey Lance or Justin Fields? Any idea who those fellows are? They're football players. They are. Do you know where they play? They're rookies, so again, yeah, could that's be hard tough. for you. Are they on the same team? No, ma'am. All well, right. One is on the Bears. One is on the 49ers. Do you know the 49ers quarterback? The objectively very good-looking one? Jimmy Garoppolo, Saturday oh, Ring yeah, Bell. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and Trey Lance Jimbo. is competing with him. And then Andy Dalton, you ever heard of that name before? Yes. He is competing with Justin Fields. So if you had to guess which one of those of Trey Lance or Justin Fields starts. Would start over the two that are already there. Yeah. Well, neither of them. Like if, if one of them got hurt? Got hurt or if they just start playing bad and then the coach is like, we need to make a change. Who do you think gets that opportunity first? Trey Lance or Justin Fields? Fields. Okay. So not a lot of confidence in the red red rifle of Andy Dalton. No. Okay. Um, I'm gonna not a di- big Bears girl. I'm going to disagree. Okay. Respectfully. Um, I think going back... If you look at what Matt Nagy dealt with last year with Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles and everything, that's sort of what Andy Dalton can provide. And Nagy was totally, for some reason, totally fine with just dinking and dunking down the field, having his quarterback go like 18 for 29 for 204 yards, a touchdown interception. Like, it's mind-boggling. Like, it infuriates me that that is probably what Nagy's going to let happen for half the year until he gets under pressure from management and fans and the team to finally start fields. Why I think Lance is actually going to be the one to get the start first. If you look back, Jimmy Garoppolo last year, injury plague season, I think that's going to come into uh, effect this year. I think there might be an entry at some point for him this season that's going to cause Lance to get his shot first. And if you saw last year, and it did have to do with injuries, but uh, Shanahan was extremely way more willing to pull Garoppolo 
if he was playing bad, which we came to find out might have been because of injuries, uh, was way more willing to do that than what Nagy was with Trubisky and Foles going back and forth. He Nagy sort of let those guys ride it out once they were in there. Uh, Shanahan, on the other hand, was changing quarterbacks at will um, in games week to week and things like that. So I think Lance is probably going to be the one that gets the shot first. Um, Mike Bennett then, again, he follows up with a Railbird question. What are some artists, songs I should listen to in preparation for Railbirds? Again, My Morning Jacket, Briston Murray, Liz Cooper, and The Stampede, um, and... Dave Matthews Band, and then Leon Bridges. I think those are the five that you need to cover and get uh, familiar with, Mike. Uh, this can go to you, too, I guess. What season are you more excited for, the Browns or the Buckeyes? The Browns. Um, I have no stake in the game when it comes to the, the Ohio State. Um, I know a lot of people do, uh, including you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not me. Uh, big Murray State fan, so I'm excited for that season. Big Murray State. Okay. Um, I'm probably more excited for the Ohio State season. I am way more invested in like Ohio State athletics than I am Browns football. I'm still a big Browns fan, and it's still exciting that this year could be – every like the last couple years, there's been hype around the team – We saw how that worked with Freddie Kitchens first year, and it didn't come to fruition. This last year, there was sort of a bit more of a tempered, toned-down hype, but still expectations, and they were able to make the playoffs, able to win uh, their first Super excuse me, their first playoff game in however many years. Now, with the offseason they had, with the draft they've had, with Baker and everything, and Stefanski in year two, the sort of expectations now of Super Bowl at least making it there or the conference championship game or, or the season being a bust. It's exciting, but also nerve wracking at the same time. But again, I put way too much care and emphasis in Ohio state and how a bunch of 18 to 22 year olds play a game. And like, if they win or lose, I put way too much happiness in that. Um, so I'm going to go with Ohio state on that one. Um, and then Mike's last question is what is your all's favorite season? I assume I've he just said season. I'm assuming he means the four, the big four. Yeah. I um I'm gonna go with fall. It brings back sports. It brings back sweaters. It brings um the best holiday of them all, Thanksgiving. So I think the other. Seasons don't have a lot to compete with besides maybe summer because it's summer. Thoughts? Um, I think fall is the probably the best for harping on everything you said. Um, but it's, I think, goes right up there. And sp- early spring also has this vibe, but obviously fall gets the most hype for it. But the hoodie and shorts weather or the long pants and like sweatpants joggers and a t-shirt weather I'm absolutely 100% here for that Um, I will say though if you would ask me this in 2015 when I was a high school senior I will argue I don't think there is a greater time in like a high school kid's career than what they could have 
in senior year spring in Louisville, Kentucky. You have the proms, you have spring break, you have pink and white game, you have um, derby, you have tons of things in the spring there that I think make that just the best time of the year for Louisville kids in high school. Did they have that same type of thing in Murray? So no surprise, um, they didn't. I mean, it was prom season. I would say of all the years of high school, seniors, senior year is the best. Senior spring is even better than the rest. But um, yeah, not quite as much to look forward to. Tater day, I uh, guess. Who, do- who doesn't who, love a good tater day? Yeah, if everyone, you know. Explain what that is, because I have no fucking idea. You know, I've never been, um, but it is a fair that we get off school to go to and there's like food and rides and stuff like a carnival kind of not like state fair size pretty small and that doesn't coincide with bring your tractor to work to school day correct or that's a different day that is a different day bring your tractor to school day is in the last week of the year usually and that's something I could really get behind I'm jealous that you got to do that Um, And then the last question that I have that was sent to me is basically just to me from Kyle Gregory who asked, what are your key takeaways from draft weekend? Thoughts on Vegas for 2022 for year 15? And then he asked over, under, one and a half arrest. I go under. um, I think you got to do like some pretty like blatant bad shit to get arrested in Las Vegas. Um, I would love to go to Vegas. If we're going to go there, that needs to be handled and pre-planned like around Christmas time. We cannot have what happened again. Obviously, pre-draft, we lost two members of the league because of location and travel and everything. That's not great. Hopefully, they come back in the fold. But with all the adversity we had with planning and everything, everything turned out great then when it actually happened and we got to the lake house, we got to the golf event. Worked out great. So, hopefully... We do end up in Vegas for year 15. Hopefully we get those other two guys back and hopefully the under caches of arrest of one and a half. Okay, our next question comes from Peyton Gray, who enjoyed this question. If you could be any breakfast food, what would you be and why? So I want to preface this by saying that you are smoking some incredibly good crack if you do not think that hash browns are the most superior breakfast food. They're not. Where do you get your incredibly good crack? Uh, I got a guy. I'll give you his number. Um, I think I would want to be a hash brown. There's or a potato, a breakfast potato. There's so much diversity in them. You can have your hash brown shredded, or like McDonald's style, or you can have them home style. You can have skillet fries. There's so many different ways to do it. I would love to be a breakfast potato. You listed three ways. You said so many ways to do it. What are the other three? Like, besides those three, what other ways can you make potatoes for breakfast? Besides, like, the bar hash brown, the Waffle House hash browns that are, like, mixed like that, or the skillet potatoes? Well, skillet potatoes, you got the flat round. Well, you got the flat round circles, and then you have the, like, cubes. Cubes, yes. Okay, so if you, you want to be generous, we go four. What other ways can you serve potatoes for breakfast? I mean, I don't think it's out of question to eat a french fry for breakfast. It's not, but that's not like a breakfast food. That's just a food you're eating for breakfast. Well, how many different ways could you make eggs? Tons. Over easy, scrambled, meaty, all that type of stuff. 
omelet. You got to put it on French toast to make French toast, so you're getting an egg incorporated there. Okay, well, what's your answer then? I would probably, if I could be any breakfast food... Probably, probably a waffle. I don't think anybody, like, you can't go wrong with a waffle. And you can spice it up however you want. You can add any type of shit you want to it. What would you say to the people that prefer pancakes over waffles? That's Besides fine. that they should be in prison. That's, I mean, I don't get why there's a big divide between pancakes and waffles. They are quite remarkably basically the same thing. One just has squares on top of them. To hold this, like I, they're not really that all much different to me. I would argue that waffles get soggier. No, pancakes get soggier quicker than waffles. I think that's what makes waffles a bit more superior. I, uh, again, I would eat either of those. I understand like there's IHOP and there's Waffle House and everything, so there are like two restaurants dedicated specifically to those i obviously eat more at waffle house i know you're a big waffle house, Huge fan. Waffle house fan um okay if so you say hash browns i sort of went like you went side dish i went main dish so flip that what main dish would you be and i'll answer with yeah. side and dish. like i like i had said earlier big sides girl that's why pizza is tough for me mm-hmm. um main I, I guess I, you know, I got to go with the classic, like, eggs. I, you know, different ways to do it. They're always pretty good. Hard to, hard to fuck up an egg. Pretty hard to mess up eggs. I would go with grits as my side. I did not like them for the longest time. Um, had them, and this might spark another debate, had them at Wild Eggs uh, one time in... High school, they had, like, the cheese grits and, like, spicy grits and everything. And just, again, the different ways you can spice those up or mix those up or just make different variations. I'm all about just creativity with the breakfast food. So I'm fine with that. You do not like wild eggs. As soon as I said wild eggs, you made a bit of a face. It's nothing against wild eggs. I've warmed up to it a little bit. I would prefer a local breakfast place i mean waffle house i guess is a chain too but like local breakfast local brunch gets me going a little bit more than a wild eggs and wild eggs is always crowded you can walk into a waffle house and sit down you cannot walk into a wild eggs and sit down wild eggs has the best like in-house coffee that i think i've had anywhere don't drink coffee they have the i implore you next time (laughs) you're there to do that um, again, I appreciate that question. That was an interesting question. Um, the next qu- set of questions we have uh, come from Sammy Allison, who asks, her first one, what's your favorite thing about me? That is all for Seth. You go right ahead. Yeah, Sammy, um, my favorite thing about you is that, I mean, I think a lot of people have told you this, you have gotten funnier. You've gotten funny since you've been married. Um, not to be confused with funnier. You weren't really funny before, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what putting a ring on it really did, but you got some jokes. So, um, her next question is, do you like possums? I don't, Steph, 
I feel no particular way about the opossum. Um, her next question, are you part of the Mile High Club? I am not part of the Mile High Club. I am also not a part of that. It seems, it seems that people throw that term around a lot. Having been on a plane or two in my life, it seems awfully difficult it's to It's a to very join. small restroom. Yeah, and I guess if you were on a private plane, sure, haven't found myself on too many private planes. I never have. I would love to, though. Um, and then the last, she did send a few others that um, I just cannot ask, but her last one that I can ask, uh, are you a whore? I would say no, but I have no clue. I, I hope not. Okay. <laughs> I, hope, I hope I'm not. Okay. We, again... Uh, Sammy, thank you for sending those in. Again, I apologize that I couldn't ask all of your questions. Some of them were a bit too uh, risque. Uh, the next two questions we have come from Alex Grove. His first one is, what do you think about Meghan Markle? I have no clue who the fuck Meghan Markle is. So who is, who is Meghan oh, Markle? Well, now allow me to fill you in a little bit. So Meghan Markle um, was an American actress who was divorced Um ended up marrying Prince Harry of the royal family, joining the royal family. They have since been, they've left, they've been kicked out, up for debate there. Um, A lot of people say she's the reason. You know, again, you do the crazy things when you're in love. Um, I think it was very, you know, bold of her to bold of her and Harry to come out on the Oprah Winfrey show um, and share all that they did about, um, you know, the royal family and, and really put all that out there. But, yeah, I mean, other than that, I'm, I think she should write a book. Maybe she already has. Got a lot to say. So I think she's cool. Okay. Well, if you like her, I probably wouldn't dislike her all that much. So she seems fine by me. Uh, and then his last question is, what kind of behavior from a romantic partner slash friend makes them a ride or die? Um, I think, personally, um, having someone who is a good listener um, gives good advice, but someone who can actually genuinely sit down and listen to what you're saying um, and, you know, respond to that in the way that they feel appropriate um, make someone a ride or die. Okay, I can... That and, like, loyalty, I guess. Yeah. Applies. Um, the last question we have from... For Stephanie comes from Emily Shank, who asked, who was your favorite ex-boyfriend of yours? Well, let me turn that around on you. Who Who is your favorite ex-boyfriend of mine? Um, seen as I only know one of them well you threw up a two but (laughs) I don't know if the second one was that ever defined as a boyfriend no (laughs) it was not Um, uh, either way the answer is still Kyle Oliver Um, again I don't know how many previous boyfriends you've had and I've only met one will say two to be generous um, but hands down, Kyle Oliver. 
Yeah, Shank, thanks for this question. Um, luckily, I did have some, some preparation on this as I had to rate all my ex-boyfriends on TikTok last year as my fantasy punishment for losing the week. Um, my favorite, I'm probably going to have to go with Kyle too uh, just because uh, we're still friends and no bad blood, hard feelings there. Um, and he's kind of funny. He's not all that funny. Well, I guess he, it's more like you can laugh at him and he doesn't get upset all the time. So I forgot that I have two questions sent to me uh, on the way over here. Uh, They can go to both of us, but you sort of need to um, have seen the movie to be able to answer one of them. So have you seen the new Suicide Squad? No. Okay, well then you probably can't really answer this. But Trent Revelette ask um who is my favorite member of the new suicide squad and why and that would be rap catcher too uh i think what she brought to the movie um she was funny she was like extremely compassionate like she made it feel like a family um her superpower is she can just control every rat in an area which like that I mean that seems like super practical if you're living in like New York City. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You don't think about like again, it's a movie, but just think about maybe how many rats you are in a specific place that you just have no idea about and this woman can control all of them and she ends up being a integral part of like the story and helping defeat the bad guy. So very impressive by her. I thought she was really good. Uh, John Cena as Peacemaker was really good too. It looks like he's going to be um, in James Gunn's stuff for DC as another new like character and everything. Like John Cena? Is that what you said? Yeah, John Cena was oh, Peacemaker. Oh, I didn't know he was an actor now. Um, Pete Davidson Pete was Davidson's in it. He's only oh, in it for like God. five minutes, but he's in it. Um, wow, maybe I should go see this movie. It's on HBO. It's oh. good. It is very good. Shout out to Abby for the password. Yeah, shout out to her. And then uh, the last question, again, this is sort of just to me, but um, Jack Muldoon asks, can I ask if you are laying the groundwork with this young lady, um, implying you? Uh, Steph, unfortunately, I have no immediate plans or future plans at this moment to lay any groundwork with you, but... Uh, I appreciate the honesty. Um, kind of, kind of feeling the same way. Um, you did pick Claire as your favorite uh, Cornell resident a few a pod a one podcast ago. Yeah, one podcast. Um, ago. So you know we have we would have to you know get over that a little bit first. Um, but if you see us on the golf course, we have been mistaken for uh, lovers a time or two. Yes, we have, and <laughs> I enjoy that every time. It makes me feel good. Uh, I also am just not your type. Um, redheads and anybody that knows me knows I have brown brown hair and I not redhead but uh, Steph do you have anything else you want to tell the listeners or at all hey keep listening to the pod my man Carson's got it going on and hopefully he'll have some more special guests soon alright thank you for joining me I appreciate it I don't think this went terrible I think it went pretty good uh, we can maybe have you back on <gasps> later down the line when I'm hurting for content or something. Okay, okay. I can provide some content. All right, thank you again. <laughs>
I want to thank Stephanie once again for coming on to the Mail Sack. That will be a weekly occurrence segment here on Carson Sack for Season 6. So keep your eyes peeled, like I said, to my Instagram and to my Snapchat stories to be able to send in your questions. That segment is made possible because of you all that's sending questions. So thank you very much for everyone this week that sent in the questions. We're now going to shift focus and talk about college football. I think the best way we can just get into this is going and looking at the schedules for week zero and week one and just getting into those. It kicks off on Saturday, August 28th, where Nebraska goes to Illinois. Both of these teams, I believe, are going to be just non-factors in the Big Ten. Nebraska's favored by seven points. They're the better team. Um, It's going to be interesting to see how Illinois progresses in year one under Bielema coming back after the Arkansas job that mm -mm, he got fired from. But again, I take for what Bielema wants to do at Illinois, it's going to take time. He's going to have to get his type of guys in there up front on the offensive line. So I expect Nebraska to win that one. And then the other game that I'm interested in from Week Zero is Hawaii and UCLA. UCLA, a 17.5 point favorite. I'm all in for UCLA with Dorian Thompson Robinson, uh, DTR, their quarterback. Um, I believe it's his third or fourth year in Brian Kelly's system. Obviously, Brian Kelly at UCLA hasn't had the exact results that he's wanted when he got brought on. But, excuse me, I believe that maybe this year with DTR there, they can be not upper echelon of that Pac-12, but they could be a dangerous team and a tough team to play. Uh, DTR is one of the more versatile quarterbacks in all of college football. He's a sleeper Heisman pick for me. Um, I don't think his team is going to be good enough for him to get the national recognition, and it's hard for Pac-12 guys that aren't on powerhouse teams to get that recognition because of the games being so late and the Heisman shifting to, I don't want to say away from the individual award, but it does help being on a good team and being the best player on a good team, if that makes sense, where DTR might just be a great player on an okay team. But those those are the two games from Week 0 that I'm most excited for. Uh, we're going to shift to Week 1 now of the college football season, and let's just start off with probably the biggest one there. We're going to go with Clemson. And Georgia playing 7.30 in the Duke Mayo's Classic. It's a uh, neutral site game. It's going to be taken at uh, Bank of America Stadium. Both of these teams have college football playoff aspirations this year. Both of these teams, I think, are going to be good and are going to be competitive, fighting for that all year. You... Look at these teams. Let's look at Clemson first. So obviously you lose Trevor Lawrence, you lose Travis Etienne, and how do you replace those things? Um, I'm going to butcher the name, but DJ Uwelewao. Again, I apologize. I'm probably just going to call him DJ for this season. Just get used to it. Uh, he came in when Trevor Lawrence had COVID last year, and the first game he played, he plays against Boston College. That game was a little tighter, but they end up winning, and then... The Clemson, with him at quarterback, travels to Notre Dame. He had a good game there, but ultimately Notre Dame was able to upset Clemson last year at Notre Dame. 
the offense this year is going to be, I think, just it's going to be good. It's not going to be as good as it was the last three years with Trevor Lawrence there, but it'll still be potent, be able to score. What the bread and butter for this team is going to be is their defense. Their linebacker in core is one of the best in the country, and their defensive line is also one of the best in their country. Their secondary needs work. If you go back and you look at their last three losses, Notre Dame was able to pass all over them and put up a ton of points. Ohio State in the college football playoff last year was able to pass all over them and put up a ton of points. And then you go back to when they played LSU three years ago, in well, two years ago, excuse me, in that national championship, their secondary got torched. It's going to be imperative for that secondary to improve, but they have a ton of talent in the front seven that's going to be able to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks that's going to help alleviate that pressure on the defensive backs, and hopefully they can step up and make plays because the offense is going to be fine. They've got enough talent and a trio of running backs there that can replace ETN's production. They have DJ, who by all accounts looks to be not as good as Trevor Lawrence right off the bat, but still a great quarterback in his own right. Uh, it's just going to be about how that defense and the defense uh, defensive backs are able to step up along with the offensive line. The offensive line doesn't concern me as much as the defensive backs. That's why I don't mention it all that much. And then we look at Georgia uh, full season of really first full offseason with Todd Monken there as the OC. Uh, JT Daniels coming over last year from USC and not getting the start right away, but then when they did down the stretch, they were averaging eight points more per game. Um, They still have Zamir White back there. Their front seven is good. They return a lot of guys. That secondary is still questionable. Um, They did bring in a couple transfers, but right now, again, I would say their secondary is the weakness of that team. They lose Pickens, George Pickens, the talented wide receiver, but they've got a lot of depth there, a lot of playmakers. They won't be hurting. Their offensive line, good, solid, typical FCC. Uh, This team, I think, is going to... I don't want to say just try... They have the personnel there, obviously, with Samir White and a couple other backs there and a good offensive line to where they can rely on the run if they have to. But I think we've seen with Kirby Smart and the way college football is turning what it's tur- what it's turning into, you need to be able to put up points. That's why they bring in Monken. That's why they have JT Daniels. Kirby Smart knows, hey, he's maybe not the most offensive-minded guy. I'm going to go get somebody like Monken that can implement implement a system and I can have success with and win. I'll take care of the defense. I will say I think this is Georgia's best team they've had since they ended up losing in the national championship to Alabama in 2015. If JT Daniels and Monken and that offense can continue to progress and put up numbers and they can have a vertical passing game and the run game can be there and that defensive secondary figures itself out, then I like Georgia a lot. And I ultimately think they do. And just a little preview for everything. You look at Georgia and their scheduling and everything. Obviously, they do have that game against Florida that is always so big in the SEC, but Besides that, Georgia and this game for Georgia against Clemson, they have a pretty favorable schedule to get to the SEC championship game, which 
ultimately, yes, you go and you have to play Alabama more than likely. And you certainly don't have to beat Alabama if you are able to beat a Clemson and you are able to beat Florida. You can you have that built in like, hey, we can still make the playoff with a good loss against Alabama. So this game is extremely important for Georgia. I don't think it's as it is important for Clemson, obviously. But if you look at their schedule, the only top 25 team right now in the preseason rankings Clemson plays is this game in Georgia. Uh, They won't be playing North Carolina. They wouldn't be playing Miami until the ACC championship game. And that is huge for them. They can still lose this game, Clemson can, go undefeated the rest of the regular season, win the ACC, and if that uh, conference championship game is against a Miami team or a North Carolina team that's top 15, then they could still make the playoff. It would maybe come down. It could get hairy just by strength of schedule and who you're winning and beating against and all those other things that come way down the line. But ultimately, I will say I think Georgia – ends up winning this game. I think JT Daniels is able to make enough plays. I think Georgia's offensive line is able to slow down the defense of Clemson that, again, I cannot trust enough. Their front seven is one of the best in the country. But I think JT Daniels, Zemir White, they're able to get after it. Uh, The vertical passing game comes to life a little bit. What concerns me for Clemson, possibly in Georgia, is DJ using his legs to win and also Justin Ross coming back from injury. If he he missed all of last year, if he comes out and there's a connection between DJ and Justin Ross and there's the connection and they're clicking, then I like Clemson this one. But my official prediction, I'm going to go with Georgia over Clemson. But both of these teams are going to be in the running all year for the college football playoff. Then we look at a game on Thursday night, Ohio State going to Minnesota. I'm an Ohio State fan, if you didn't know. So, I'll preview this a little bit easily. Ohio State replacing Justin Fields and a lot of other talent on the offensive side of the ball. They return a good amount of offensive linemen, though, which is good news. Their linebacking core, all all of them are being replaced. Their secondary, they lose <clears throat> Sean Wade to the draft. He underperformed last year when he comes back to bolster his draft stock. That defensive front seven, the D-line, it's good. It could be one of the – it's certainly the best in the Big Ten. Could be one of the best in the country. It's going to ultimately depend on how Tyreek Smith, Zach Harrison, um, two freshmen, Jack Sawyer, uh, JT Tumaloao, I'm trying on the names here. Bear with me. And Haskell Garrett returning from a out-of-nowhere All-American season that he had last year, coming back to play defensive tackle for the Buckeyes. The big question mark, as I mentioned at the start, is how are they going to fare and to be able to replace Justin Fields at quarterback? Most of the time, teams struggle with something like that. Ohio State, luckily, though, they have... Two five-star... Well, now that Ewers is there, they have three five-stars and a four-star quarterback that waited in the wings competition. It was just announced last week that C.J. Stroud is now the number one quarterback. He played well last year in the limited time that he did play. Didn't throw a pass. Had a rushing touchdown. Personally, I would have liked to see Jack Miller have a little bit more opportunity to earn a spot, but there are no complaints for me for... C.J. Stroud being the quarterback. They bring back at 
wide receiver, an extremely talented, loaded wide receiver room led by Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Probably the two best receivers in the country on the same team, the wide receiver tandem of Olave and Wilson. Stroud's going to have tons of offensive weapons, including Mayan Williams, Master Teague, Travion Henderson, Evan Pryor. There's not a lack of talent on this offensive roster at all. The defensive side of the ball is what concerns me a little bit. There's some inexperience and some depth issues at the linebacker position and then the secondary. Kerry Combs is going to have to do a better job as the defensive coordinator, secondary coach this second year. I understand he's not the secondary coach now in the offseason. Ryan Day moved him strictly to the defense coordinator. They cannot be as bad as they were last year. I'm not saying they have to be world beaters, but they certainly have to improve what what they did last year on the defense of the ball was concerning and looked like the year Dwayne Haskins was quarterback where Greg Schiano, his defense looked outdated and teams were able to attack Ohio State's weaknesses um, in coverage and schemes and everything, and everything became an offensive shootout. I love the steps Ohio State has taken in the last eight, ten years when Urban came um, now even more with Ryan Day, how the offensive side of the ball is progressing, but I do not want to see them become a Big 12 team. I do not want to see it just be we have to go out and our offense is going to have to score 48, 50 points a game because our defense is just shit. Not a fan of that. I'm not I'm not saying it's going to happen immediately. There's time for things to be turned around, and there's a ton of talent in Columbus. So that's a little bit of a preview. Uh, they're a 13.5-point favorite against Minnesota. Minnesota returns their starting quarterback from last year, um, P.J. Fleck, in his third or fourth year there for Minnesota. I think it's a tough game for a freshman, not a, well, not a true freshman, but a redshirt freshman quarterback who's going to be throwing his first pass um, on the collegiate level to start at. It's going to be raucous. It's going to be the first game back for Minnesota students and fans and everything. It's a tough ask, but I do believe that just the talent and the way how hungry Ryan Day is to rebound from what happened in the playoff, the championship game last year against Alabama, I do have Ohio State winning. Moving on, we can look at a Friday game. North Carolina goes to Virginia Tech. When you look at North Carolina, obviously this starts immediately with Sam Howe at quarterback. He has a ton of talent. Um, around him that Mac Brown coming back was coming back to college football after being let go from Texas has been a revelation for this North Carolina program. Uh, Hal in his two seasons has over 7,000 yards and 68 touchdowns. Uh, There's a lot that they have to replace though. Uh, Ty Chandler could be a good transfer for them from Tennessee at running back the offensive line. Brings a lot back. That's another plus to keep Hal on that offense. Uh, uh, excuse me. The offensive line, a lot of strength. Keep Hal upright, be able to throw the ball, and help the running game to help Hal as well. Um, defense still intact for the most part. Um, but Chaz Stewart, he departed. It'll be interesting to see how they replace him. Uh, Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, that's always a tough game. Virginia Tech just didn't do enough for me last year. Um, I understand it's not last year, but I will take North Carolina over Virginia Tech. 
this isn't a game that I think is in danger, but I do need to talk about Oklahoma. So Oklahoma at Tulane. Oklahoma is going to win that game pretty comfortably. There's no questions what Lincoln Riley can do offensively. They have Spencer Rattler. He is probably the preseason Heisman favorite on a lot of people's list, and deservedly so. Uh, They have a good receiving core coming back to them. They have a good running back core coming back to them. That offensive line is fine. The defense is always what is the question for Oklahoma. And they've gotten better uh, over the course of a few years. They had their best yards per play allowed with 5.2, I believe, since 2015. That's not great, but by Big 12 standards and Oklahoma standards, that's pretty good. Um, they bring back a lot of talent there. One of their defensive end had eight sacks. If he can match that number, maybe get to double digits, and the rest of that defense can continue to improve and I would say get a little bit better than the bend-don't-break style that maybe becomes a custom into the Big 12, then you have to think Oklahoma certainly is going to be in the conversation all year for the college football playoff. And you look at when, since Lincoln Riley took over last year after the rough start they had, this was the first year um, that they did make the playoff under Lincoln Riley. So it'll be interesting to see how the team itself rebounds against that and I mean, they have to play Texas and Iowa State, but I believe that Iowa State game is in Oklahoma, and that Texas game obviously is the neutral site at the Texas State Fair and everything. So a favorable schedule for them to be able to run the table, make the Big 12 championship game, win that, and ultimately end up into the college football playoff. The next game for the Week 1 slate, we have Penn State and Wisconsin playing each other. Both of these teams regressing last year neither of them really in the mix for their division in the Big Ten when they normally are right up there at the top Uh, Penn State fighting with Ohio State and Wisconsin normally dominating the west side of the bracket of the Big Ten but like I said both took regression last year Penn State having just an awful year last year it's going to be interesting to see how they are able with Sean Clifford there can he take a next step and be Versatile with the new offense coordinator, Mike Yurich. Penn State schedule, I do not wish it on anyone. They got to play Wisconsin. They have to play Indiana. They have to play Iowa. They have to play Ohio State. They also have to play Auburn, I believe. Yeah, that game's September 18th. Just a doozy to start right off the bat. And then you look at Wisconsin and what they have going on. Again, they come back after last year. And Jack Cohn's gone. Graham Ertz is now the quarterback there. Obviously, you look and you think about Wisconsin quarterbacks outside of maybe like a Russell Wilson. You're not looking at them to be world beaters. You just need them to be compliments to the run game. Um, running back Jalen Berger, he's back. He was decent last year, above decent last year. I think he's poised for a breakout year for them. Uh, the schedule for Wisconsin, obviously, still challenging, still playing in the Big Ten, but you got Penn State, Notre Dame, and Iowa. It's doable. I think, obviously, this game for both of these teams, extremely important for them to start the 2021 season off on the right foot. I'm going to go Wisconsin over Penn State simply because, one, it's at Wisconsin, and I just think that the run game is going to be a big enough difference against Penn State that Wisconsin's able to win. The next game I want to look at is the afternoon game of the Week 1 college football. It's Alabama and Miami. 
this offense for Alabama these last couple years has been incredible. They lose Sarkeesian to Texas. You bring in Bill O'Brien. I'm not a big Bill O'Brien guy. You have to replace Mac Jones, who, say what you want about him, he was a winner. He had a great year last year, was a Heisman candidate, all of that. They have to replace him with Bryce Young, who highly touted out of out of high school, um, looks to be the part. They still have Michi at, at wide receiver. They bring in Jamison Williams, transfer from Ohio State. He's a deep threat. They have a, still a great running game. The defense, their linebacker is going to be loaded. Uh, they bring in Henry Toto, Tioto from Tennessee. He's going to be good. That secondary, they have to replace some pieces, but it's Alabama. And I've heard people say we're all just sort of making these assumptions that Alabama is going to be able to replace these guys. And what from the past, since really since 2009, what makes people think that they aren't going to be able to replace these guys. Like, yes, they might win in different ways. Like, you look back uh, when Saban first got there and the Mark Ingrams of the world and the Trent Richardsons and the Derrick Hendrys and those quarterbacks of uh, A.J. McCarron and Greg McElroy and all these other guys there that the offense was different, obviously. And then you bring in guys like Jalen Hurts and Tua and then Matt Jones last year. This team, and Nick Saban has shown, he can win in so many multitudes of ways that he can adapt and change how he's going to win with each team each year, which is extremely impressive. Whether the offensive stuff last year was more Sark and maybe this offense is still good, but obviously not maybe as good as last year, whether that's the coaching of Bill O'Brien, who, again, I'm not very high on, but... Clearly, you have to be good at what you do, or Nick Saban's not going to hire you. Or is that because of the offensive players on the field just aren't as good? But Alabama deserves just credit preseason. And it's, I'm trying to think how to words. They deserve credit and the benefit of the doubt that they are going to be good and they are going to be in the college football playoff discussion all year strictly off of what Nick Saban has been able to do there. You look at their their schedule all year. They open up with Miami. They have to play Florida. They have Texas A&M. That's going to be a tough game. And then LSU. It's a manageable schedule. If they don't slip up in the regular season and maybe they lose to a Georgia in the college, in the excuse me, the SEC championship game, they could still find their way in as a three or four seed if Georgia is a one-loss team or undefeated going into that game. They have the benefit of the doubt of being able to lose one game as well because if an Alabama team, say they lose one of those games, say they lose to Miami to start the year, or they lose Texas A&M, or they lose to LSU, they lose one of those, they win the SEC, then obviously you're not keeping a one-loss SEC champion Alabama out. And even if they were to lose in the SEC championship game, and it's a close game, you're not going to keep a one-loss Alabama team out. Uh, We've seen that in the past. So Alabama, obviously, I think, has a lot to be excited about this year. On the other side of the field with Miami, uh, King coming back for them, Derek King. He is my Heisman pick. 
if this Miami team is going to make any noise in the ACC, they're sitting at 14th or 15th, I believe, in the polls to start the year. If they were going to do anything, it's all going to rely on him. He was having a great season last year before he got hurt. It's his sixth year in college football. It's He's going to be good. What now needs to be addressed is the defense, and Manny Diaz is sort of doing that. They have to replace two NFL draft picks at defensive ends, uh, but two guys on that side of the ball, tackle Leonard Taylor and safety James Williams. They can come in as freshmen. They were highly talented recruits, and they can be impact defensive difference makers, which is extremely important. Miami, you look at their schedule. They have Alabama, and then they have North Carolina. You can lose to Alabama. That's understandable. If they can go to North Carolina and beat Sam Howell, and that's an offensive shootout, and Derek King goes out and outduels him, and he's continuing to put up big numbers all year. I think he has again a chance to win the Heisman. He's my Heisman pick, and I also think they have a chance to make noise in the ACC. I don't know. Again, I'm not going to keep speculating on playoff stuff, but if they're able to keep it close against Miami, and then maybe they go upset Clemson or someone like that in the ACC championship game, are you going to keep a one-loss team out? ACC champion, a good loss against Alabama. Again, that's pure speculation and hypothetical, and they do have to have a good loss against Alabama. I don't think they beat Alabama just because I think Nick Saban has that team ready, and I think they're going to be able to attack the evolving defense of Miami this year. That still needs to grow, and that's going to take time over the course of the season. But Garrett King is my Heisman pick. You have that here. Uh, In the game, though, Alabama does beat Miami. Looking now, we also have Indiana going to Iowa. Indiana this year, if Michael Penix can come back, they are going to be a threat to win the Big Ten. Uh, What Allen, their head coach, has done there, revitalizing that program, having them almost beat Ohio State last year in Columbus. The game, the final score, a lot closer than what the game actually was, but... They come back, and they were down big at halftime, and they rallied, and they didn't give up. Ohio State has to go to Indiana this year. That's a bit of a trap game within that division. I feel like that's going to be Indiana Super Bowl. That's going to be a raucous, crazy environment. Uh, they bring back a ton of offensive weapons, especially at receiver with Fry Fogel. It's going to be interesting to see if Pennis can stay healthy and continue to play well like he has in the past. If they do, Indiana's a dangerous team in the Big Ten. Uh, Keeping on the planes, we will look at Iowa State. This is the year for Iowa State. This is the best team they've had under Matt Campbell there. Uh, They bring back Brock Purdy. They have the running back, Brees Hall, coming back, who had 21 touchdowns, I believe, last year. The defense is good. The offensive line is good. I think it's just an all-around solid team. They do have to play Iowa at some point this year, who's going to be good. They have to play Texas. They have to play, I believe, at Oklahoma. That's going to come down to, I definitely think they get past Iowa. And then the Texas, that's still up in the air, how Sark is going to look in his first year. But I that at Oklahoma game scares me a bunch because I think Oklahoma this year is going to want revenge after losing Uh, Excuse me, after what they had last year happen to them in the regular season, I think Oklahoma could come out and just try and boat race them. And I 
Iowa State isn't a team that's just going to lie down. I understand that. And it, they have a good team and talent around them. It's just going to be interesting to see if that defense is going to be able to do what they did last year and be able to slow down Oklahoma a little bit and if Oklahoma is able to put up enough points to win. But, again, that's way down the line. But this is the year. If you're an Iowa State fan and you're listening to this, one, I don't know who you are. Thank you for listening. And two, this is probably the most excited you've been about a college football season in God knows how long. Um, moving on, we have LSU and Te- excuse me, we have Louisiana and Texas playing. It's going to be interesting to see how that offense under Sark is. But John Robinson is one of the most explosive players in all of college football. If he can stay healthy and continues to grow, and Sark really is the offensive-minded guy, and it's not just the talent that helped make him at Alabama, then Bajan is going to have a insane year and is on a fast track to Heisman contender next year. First round pick the year after that, just tons of good things in his future. But there's an obvious talent gap between what was at Alabama and what Sark has taken over here. But if he can get his guys in there, and they can progress, learn his system, run his system, then I think Texas could be on its way to being back. Uh, Continuing on, I feel like I need to talk about them a little bit. Texas A&M, they've been getting a lot of preseason buzz. They lose Kellen Mond, who's been a staple there for them for so long. They have to replace him. But what the strength of this team is, is the run game with Spiller and then their defense front seven. They have a lot of returning talent on the defensive line, a lot of talent in the secondary as well. That was very good for them last year, two, two strengths for them. Um, they come back and are going to be strengths for them again. If they can get the quarterback situation figured out and have some big play wide receivers step up for them throughout the year, they have a chance to be dangerous in the SEC. They do have Alabama and they do have LSU, but those games, the Alabama games in October, so they have about a month, month and a half to really figure out the offense, figure out what that offensive identity for that team is going to be, figure out who's going to be quarterback, and maybe go pull off the upset against Alabama. So just keep your eye on Texas A&M as well. Uh, the last game for week one I want to talk about is Notre Dame and Florida State. Notre Dame, I could not be more out on this year. They bring in Jack Cohn, the transfer from Wisconsin. He is he is what I think of when I think Notre Dame quarterback. He's not flashy. He's he's going to do solid for you, but I don't know if he's going to be a guy that's going to come and win like many big games for you. Uh, which. Notre Dame, after being in the playoff last year, obviously you want to keep momentum going and you want to win, but I just don't I don't see it being that type of year for them. Uh, I, I think they take a step back. I think they probably lose two games, two or three games in the regular season this year. Um, I can, just looking at their schedule, they play Florida State. I don't think they're going to lose to Florida State. I still think Florida State has some stuff to figure out, but... They have to play Wisconsin. They're going to lose to Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati this year with Desmond Ritter and a ton of talent returning and Luke Fickle coming back, uh, taking Georgia to the brink in their bowl game that they had last year, I think showed them that like 
We can play with the best. We can't. We were this close to beating Georgia last year, and we just couldn't get it done. A ton of guys from that team are back. They're going to be motivated. I. They're going to lose to Cincinnati. They're going to be Cincinnati's beating Notre Dame. So I, there's at least two losses right there. They have to play North Carolina. They have to play USC. It's it's going to be a. I don't. I'm not saying long year, but a very challenging year for Notre Dame. Just running out some of the teams I didn't get to. Uh, Iowa, they bring back their quarterback, Spencer Petras, their running back, Tyler Goodson, their center, Tyler Linderbaum, uh, will all be back for them on offense, so that's a good core right there. Uh, their defensive end, Zach Van Valkenburg, will lead the defense for them. They're going to be a tough team to beat in the Big Ten, uh, cause havoc for them. They started 0-2 last year, but rattled off uh, six in a row to finish the season. You have LSU, they took a dramatic fall off after last year, but Max Johnson could also get a look at quarterback for them. It's between Max Johnson and Miles Brennan. Miles Brennan played a little bit last year. Questionable at times, obviously, but again, I believe where this starts for LSU, as it normally does with all their good teams, is on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, and they have some of the best in college football. Talked about Miami, talked about Notre Dame, talked about North Carolina, Wisconsin, Indiana, Florida. It's going to be interesting to see after losing Kyle Pitts, Kyle Trask, how Emory Jones is able to replace Kyle Trask and who steps up and becomes a big play guy for him. The running game for Florida is going to be good. The defense is going to be fine. Uh, Obviously, the big matchup for them every year is Georgia. Looking down the line at that, unless Georgia falls off a cliff, I feel very comfortable with Georgia beating them. Talked about Texas, a team that could surprise some people maybe in the SEC. Ole Miss, they might catch a team, a top team slipping at some point or another with Matt Carroll and Lane Kiffin there. Uh, that offense is going to put up a ton of points, but it's going to. It remains to be seen if they're going to be able to stop anybody. Uh, we look out west, Oregon. Their defense is good, have one of the best defensive ends in the country, probably be a top-five pick in next year's draft. Their quarterback play, um, they could be starting a true freshman quarterback, which could be dangerous for them in week two when they have to travel to Ohio State. Um, USC as well in the Pac-12, Keaton Slovis comes back. I'm not picking anybody out of the Pac-12. I think that conference just cannibalizes itself, and the top teams end up beating each other throughout the season, maybe lose to a downtrodden team that they really shouldn't. I I know we talked a lot about last year when Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State really separated themselves as what felt like the three best teams and then everybody else. And you could sort of say maybe Clemson and Alabama were in their own little tier and then Ohio State and then everybody else after what happened last year. But then Ohio State beating Clemson and sort of joining and elevating that that conversation as just like, oh, you can sort of pencil these three teams in every year and then that fourth can be that rotating door. I don't know if it's as simple as that this year because there are so many teams and just so many situations that – in these conferences where an Alabama can slip up, a Georgia can slip up, Ohio State can slip up, um, you, you look at what Clemson has to do. Again, a bit of a easier schedule, but if they do end up 
losing that first game as I think they will and as I mentioned, then they have to be perfect the rest of the year. That conference doesn't pose the biggest challenge until really the conference championship game, but knowing that you have to play you don't have to play perfect every week, but you have to win every game that puts a lot of pressure on a team rather than I understand coaches aren't saying, hey, you know, we can lose this game. I really don't want to, but we can. I understand no coach is saying that, but in the back of people's heads, when a loss happens, they can say, oh, okay, we have that one, but if we win out, we win our conference, we can still probably make the college football playoff. And I think all those top teams, like Georgia, like Oklahoma, like Clemson, like Alabama, like I say, all those teams sort of have that luxury. So it's going to be really interesting to see if, say, there's a couple one-loss teams, who's going to be left out? You can only have four. And there's sort of where I want to take this now in the conference realignment stuff. You have Texas and Oklahoma starting to make the move to the SEC. That's already done. Then you have the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 making this alliance. It's going The way that college football is changing in these coming years, it still remains to be unseen, but the college football playoff expansion – that wants to happen. That wants to get to push through to maybe double-digit teams. If that were to be the case, uh, you're looking at maybe 12, 16 teams. That's a ton. And the SEC already has a 16-team conference. It's going to be interesting to see how many teams going forward in years, if this expansion happens, just how many teams they get into that college football playoff. And then you look at the alliance. How many teams can they get in there when they're scheduling – out of conference games like Ohio State, Oregon, um, Ohio State, Clemson, Ohio State, North Carolina, USC, Wisconsin. Um, just think of all the endless possibilities. Clemson, Oregon, just all the endless possibilities. It's going to be wild. I normally try not to get caught up in the commentary alignment. It's sort of just like play whoever is on the schedule, and if you win them all, you should probably be in the college football playoff. But obviously with money and TV deals – and playoff expansion that is not it is not as simple as that. The only thing I ask is that when conference realignment and expansion happens that we keep some geographical um, correctness to the conference names. Uh, the SEC, Oklahoma and Texas are not in the SEC. Are they going to change that conference name? Probably not. Uh, the Big Ten, I don't know if you can leave it as the Big Ten if you end up adding all these people and it's like the Big 18. That sounds stupid. Maybe find a new name. The the Pac-12, there's it used to be the Pac-10. At least they were able to change. Uh, the ACC, if they add somebody like a Kansas that has been floating around or anything like that, well, Kansas isn't really on the Atlantic coast. Uh, maybe we re, rethink our name. Just something to keep in mind, but excited to see how all of that pertains. So I'm going to wrap up this lengthy podcast here and I'm going to give you my college football predictions for this year. Um, I do think, like I said, Derek King is my Heisman pick. I It's very easy to take Spencer Rattler and if they have the year that Oklahoma's predicting, then he probably will end up winning it. If they make the playoff and he has a big game in... If he has not a big game, but if he has a big season and if they are going to make the playoff that's going to need to happen then he probably end up will winning it but 
that's Jermaine scene. And I know you probably don't want me to just be like, oh, yeah, the, the favorite's going to win it. Uh, some long odds to look at that. C.J. Stroud, Matt Carroll. I'm not feeling a running back at that at all. Um, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave sort of eat into each other's production and things like that. So I think it's obvious. I think it's a quarterback that ends up winning it this year after a wide receiver wins it last year. All right, I'm going to get now into the college football playoff prediction. So with the fourth seed in the college football playoff, I'm going to give that to Clemson. I think they have a good year. I think they stumble and lose to Georgia out of the gate, but I do think they run the table otherwise, and I think they end up winning the ACC, and they get in at four. Number three, I'm going to give to Ohio State. If they end up losing a game in the regular season, say like an Indiana or a Penn State, or a, they can get away and still make a college playoff with a loss like that. Um, they have to play Purdue. That could be another trap game. That was a trap game a few years ago. If they lose to Oregon in their second game of the year, they can still make it. But if they do lose one of those games, they're going to have to win the Big Ten. And if they do lose that, I'll bump them to possibly... I would honestly bump them out. If they don't win the Big Ten, obviously they're out. If they go undefeated and they lose in the Big Ten, they're out. They have to win the Big Ten and basically win all their games because I think Clemson would get more of a nod losing to Georgia, who I think is going to be solid and thought of all year. Number two, I'm going to go with Oklahoma. I think they run the table. I don't think they lose a regular season game. I know there's some tough games on that schedule, but after what happened last year and Lincoln Riley not missing a playoff, uh, his first couple years there at Oklahoma as the head coach. I think this is a good team. If that defense can improve and be solid for them all year, which I think they're moving in the right direction, then I think Oklahoma winds up as that two seed. And then the number one, I still have to give to Alabama. I think even if they were to lose one game, I still think they might get the number one just because I think they're going to be good enough to do that. Again, there's a ton of things that can happen teams that can be moved around everything like that Georgia's going to be in the mix Texas A&M will be in the mix you look at a Pac-12 team possibly Oregon if you want to say if you want to include them they could be in the mix Iowa State from the Big 12 it's honestly I know that we talk a lot about, again, I'm going to come back to the original point, Clemson, Alabama, and sort of Ohio State as those three, and then that fourth being the revolving door. This year has so many possibilities because there are a ton of good teams that are going to be playing each other for an upset or a loss or one team that I've just mentioned getting upset and possibly missing out on the playoff because of one bad game that I'm super excited for. But to recap, I have Alabama, number one, Oklahoma, number two, Ohio State, number three, and Clemson, number four. And then I have Alabama beating Clemson, and I have Oklahoma beating Ohio State, and I have Alabama beating Oklahoma, and Alabama going back-to-back to be the first team since 
Alabama did it in 2011-2012 to win. I know that's a very home, like, that's not a very deep limb to go out on, but, again, I think they get the benefit of the doubt with what Nick Saban has done, what that offense has been, and the way Nick Saban is able to tailor what he has on that team whether it's an offensive power team or a defensive power team to win games and win national championships. He's shown he can adapt and change with each team and he can do it again this year for whatever the strength of that team is. So Alabama, unfortunately, in my case, is my pick this year for the national champions. All right, that is going to do it for episode 85 of Carson Sack Podcast. This was an extremely long episode. I appreciate you all so much for listening and tuning in. I'm going to get out of here. I'm not going to give you a big spiel. Like, rate, review, subscribe, all that other good shit on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcast from. You can do this again on Spotify if you'd like. Like, rate, review, subscribe. It means a lot. It helps a lot. I will be back in two weeks for a look at week two of college football, and we will be previewing the NFL season. Thank you all for listening. I cannot wait for football to return, and I cannot wait for more episodes of Season 6 for Carson Sack Podcast. Thanks for listening, and as we always end here on the sack, we will be